Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. It's May. It is May. It's the thick of May. Yes, we're Best in the middle of, the of May. Yes. Uh, the, the two weeks plus or the month of May, however you want to uh, debate it. But we are here. There's on-track act- activity after a bit of a delay as we record this on Thursday morning ahead of practice. So practice washed out on Tuesday, full day yesterday, full day expected today. Friday looks a little iffy. The weekend looks great for Indy 500 qualifying. We'll get to that a bit later on, but first off, we have a race to recap. The GMR Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Alex Pillow, absolutely dominant in this race over the weekend, and getting the tire strategy right was the key thing, and that he did, and for Pillow going from reds on the start to double blacks to, to close out, that was the way to do it. It worked, and for Christian Lungard, uh, slipping at the end, just a, a disappointing day after a, a pull. We thought he'd be strong here, right? He finished in fourth, but he had the pull, and he, he battled for the first half. It was back and forth between him and Pillow, and then just kind of slipped that that final stint. He did, and Pillow got it right. Ganassi got it right. That's just what the top teams do in this series, folks, is the top team's uh, get it right more often than not than than the lower tier teams, and that's just what happened here. Uh, kind of Pelo was kind of an afterthought going into the race, even though he had qualified third because of all the attention on Lungard and all that. But just a perfect race for Pelo. Pulled away from everybody in the last what stint of that race, dominated, winning by close to seventeen seconds. Great performance by Pelo on a uh, day that. You know, really had some storylines. We'll get into them with our our three things. Do you want to start with your first? Yeah, I just want to start with Alex Pillow. You, you mentioned afterthought going into the race, which is, I, I mean, makes us feel kind of dumb for for saying that. But I mean, we're dumb. We're yeah, we're talking <laughs> about Christian Lungard. We're talking about Romain Grosjean. Yeah, Grosjean. I, I mean, our pick was Grosjean going into the weekend, and uh, I mean, they simply did not You're have way it. off. They did not have it at all. Um. But for Pelot, this is a guy whose last two wins have been incredibly dominant. Like you said, one by nearly 17 seconds. And the thing is, this wasn't even, you know, that dominant of a race compared to other races in this new era of IndyCar, DW12, MarshallProRacer.com, kind of comparing. In Pelot's victory at Laguna Seca, over 30 seconds, um... That was, you know, the most dominant race as far as in this new era since 2012. Now, the Indy GP win, number five. Rossi with two and three um, from Road America 2019 and then before that Long Beach of uh, 2019 as well. And then Scott Dixon at number four with the 2020 Indy GP win. So noticing a trend here, the Indy GP Multiple times on this list as far as dominant wins. I remember that 2020 win by Dixon. I mean, Graham Ray Hall, I think, was second that day, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. I think so. But it, he didn't he didn't get the cautions and and anything to work to to even touch Scott Dixon that day. But for Alex Blow, it was dominant. And I and I guess the biggest thing we've seen since the awkwardness last year at Laguna Seca and the win, all that stuff's behind Jim Ganassi racing Alex Pillow. Now, is he still going to be on the move to Aaron McLaren next year? Most likely. 
We've seen nothing to tell us otherwise. But they've able they've been able to put that awkwardness uh, over the contract dispute aside, and he seems to have found his groove again. Really, uh, you could tell. Now he wasn't outwardly letting it affect him as far as what he was saying, saying all the right things because you got to be very careful in those situations. Late last year, right? But the win at Laguna Seca kind of eased the tension, and this it, it just felt like he was part of the team once again. It did, and if if for somehow. Alex Pelo can win the 500 and, and Ganassi's off to a great start. We've seen uh, this week. He would be a championship driver. He would be a 500 winning driver on the move to McLaren. And, and this will be a fascinating uh, move to reevaluate in a couple years on if it was the best move for Alex Pelo and if it was the best move for Chip Ganassi, because this is a, a driver with the pedigree to win a 500, win a championship, win multiple races a season, and he's proven that. Um, not a 500 yet, but but could change as soon as next Sunday. And can Chip Ganassi replace that? We've talked so much about finding the next Scott Dixon, and you felt Alex Pillow was that, and then we talk about could Marcus Erickson be that, and there's overtures of maybe he's, he's on the move at some point. Then again, when you look at Alex Pillow, you're having all this success with a particular team, going to another team, albeit on the rise and considered a power team in the series, is that going to be all it all um all it's worth and 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 all it's um cracked up to be? And I think that's a great question as well. I'm sure it will be monetarily. Like people are asking the question, why leave Ganassi that's when the thing. you're competitive at Indy every year? And to be fair, the same can be said of Aaron McLaren, you know, since the that well, team became they also really have a history it, of missing races. True. Missing 500s. But, but I would say in the current iteration of the true. team, as a full-time competitor since 2020, you know, since they came in and, and came into the sport um, with Pato Award and Oliver Askew, they've been competitive at Indy. Yeah, they haven't won. They've come close. They've been able to win races. Now, only Pato Award's been able to win races. Mm-hmm. And we know that the funding's there, right? Yes. Their three cars are full. That's why they're potentially adding a fourth for next year full-time. Um, but beyond the money and the opportunity in F1, I think that's another key Very part true. of this as yeah. far as maybe not necessarily getting an F1 ride, but he already got an F1 test. Chip mm-hmm. Ganassi can't offer that. And just the connections with that. Um, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, right? And this yeah. is one that is a fascinating case study that we'll likely see play out the rest of this season and then into next season and compare year over year. They're all, uh, it's all roses right now with Alex Pillow and Chip Ganassi racing, but I can guarantee you next year, Chip Ganassi racing is going to want to beat Alex Pillow at every opportunity at every race. Yes. And Alex Pillow with, you know, having Chip Ganassi equipment has had a lot of success. Will that success stay the same? You know, a lot can be said, and we'll probably get to this more later, but anytime you change a team, there is an adjustment period. Yeah. Whether it was Simon Pagenaud at Penske back in 2015, and then his second year won the title and got off to a great start winning the first three races that season. Uh, Jack Harvey, terrible year last year. First year at Ray Hall after moving over from Irish. It hasn't been much better this year, to be honest. It, it has been a struggle, but we finally saw something out of that team last weekend. 
Um, it, it's not as easy to just go and, and even Alexander Rossi. Yeah, I was going to say Alexander Rossi so far this year. Yeah, we we finally are starting to see those results come. I mean, even Scott McLaughlin when he came into the series, I know that yeah. was not team to team, but he needed that year. It 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 takes a bit of time, but for Alex Blow, this is a dominant performance and one we haven't seen well since Laguna Seca last year. And I, I think the biggest thing to me is just everything that happened off track. It, yes, is it still lurking in the background? Absolutely. But is it, everyone said the right things. There didn't seem to be any amount of awkwardness, and people moved on. That's, that, yeah. was, that was my first takeaway. Yeah. Uh, my first, and you look at the, at the results of this race, and it's very much a haves and have-nots uh, breakdown when you look at the final results. Starting with the 16 drivers that finished on the lead lap, with Scott McLaughlin being that 16th place driver. After that, you have Devlin DeFrancesco in 17th. I know he's with the power team in Andretti, but hasn't showed much of anything while he's there. And you go down the list, and it's the lesser teams. It's the Hunkos down there. It's the Foyts down there. It's the Coins down there. It was very much a top-heavy uh, final uh, box score in terms of the power teams as opposed Meyer to Shank the, even my, down there. Yeah, Meyer Shank with do they've been down there? I would say they're not not even close to a power team anymore at this point. So uh th- it was very much a haves and have nots day, really, um, when you look at the standing. So that was kind of my take is r- we have the haves and have nots in the series. We're one of the two that will say that as opposed to saying how there's competitive balance and blah blah blah. But um it definitely showed on Saturday with the have teams and the have nots. When you have, let's see, four at Andretti, three at Penske, three at McLaren, and then at, at Ganassi, you have, what, four as well. Four. So 14 out of 27. So, yes, it is half the field, but that half the field, quite often, you're talking about 12 drivers in the in the top 12. Right. So that wasn't quite the case uh, on you Saturday. You had Ray Hall but it was, crashing it was the party a little bit. Uh, it was good to see for them, but by and large, it was the power teams up there. There was no good stories in terms of a lesser team making a move on Saturday. And speaking of making moves, my second takeaway, uh, Aaron McLaren, a, a team that, yes, they, they've qualified well on this track, but have not necessarily raced well on this track over the years. Uh, Felix Rosenquist, I think, had the pull, what, last year for this? Um so close to the pole, but for them to go two, three, and five with Pato Award and then Alexander Rossi and Felix Rosenquist, this is a very impressive bounce back for them, especially Rossi, who this is the first race it felt like to me all season where he's looked kind of every bit the the old Rossi, so to speak, and, and comfortable with his new team. You know, it, it, it was going to take some time, as we mentioned, but to go from 10th to 3rd, and he really had a great start to that race early on. Now I think we're starting to see him move up and be more comfortable and confident, and I'm sure that will showcase itself on the Oval. And we're starting to, we've heard that this week in interviews as Rossi's starting to really settle in and and feel like a part of the team and, and a real competitor week in and week out. And that's going to be indicative too of, of McLaren's chances as a whole because we're still saying, when is McLaren going to break out outside of Pazzo Award? When are they going to start... Uh, when are they going to win a 500? When are they going to win a championship? And, and those things, if you have a, a driver on the team that's not capable of doing those things, it's pulling everybody down. But with Rossi being able to get round back into form, 
got that late win last year, right? That really kind of got the, the the monkey off his back. Um, now he has a chance to really start fresh. We've seen that. We've seen some top um, finishes go away for various reasons early in the season, but this is is the time I think that he can really be a, a competitor uh, next week in the 500 and beyond as we get into uh, really the the second of the three halves of the season, you know, three three portions of the season. You look at pre 500, post 500, and then down the stretch, kind of like six five six races each. Is we can see if um, Rossi can make a move in that second six races. Well, and the Aero McLaren team has been good at Detroit. They've had fast cars yeah. there. Um, we know Rossi's good at Road America. So True. It, it's just will the these Ohio tra- in there. You yeah. Know? W- will these things translate over? That will be a, a fascinating storyline to watch, starting with qualifying, what kind of speed they have this weekend. All right. What's your second takeaway? Well, we'll talk about Ray Hall Letterman landing because people were so high on him just because they've been so terrible that they actually so showed some semblance of competency and everybody got excited. Still weren't good enough to get a win. Still couldn't even get on the podium. But do we feel like this could be the turnaround that this team needs? Or is it, look, this team is traditionally pretty strong at the road course. And once again, they were decently strong this year. But this doesn't have much in the way of staying power. I, I don't think we know the answer yet. Um, despite not getting a podium, I think the fact that two of their drivers finished in the top 10 was pretty darn impressive considering what they have been. But is this a one and done for RLL? Are they are they back to the back? Um, even if they have success at the 500, because we knew Graham had a, a car that could win the 500 last year before you know lost a tire. Uh, 21. Was that 21, two yeah. years ago? Um, you know, can they show it again at the Speedway this year? Or is it back to normal for RLL, uh, what we've seen the rest of the season outside of the GP? I think that's the big question for me with that team heading into the 500 and beyond. I'm going to go with the cop-out answer and say that they're back to where we think they should have been. Yeah, I don't think, maybe. I, I don't but think, I don't think one race is indicative of you being able to say, of people being able yeah. to say that. They're back. Yeah. That's that's my thing is, are they really back or is it a mirage at a track that they're traditionally pretty strong at? Uh, Lungard's been very good at this track. He, he obviously won the pole his first ever IndyCar race. He, he qualified in the fast six. Didn't he qualify second, I think, or something? He, he may have been high up fourth, but finished, I think, like 11th or 12th in his first ever IndyCar start. So he's been quick. Graham Rahal's had success at the Indy GP. I mean, there was a guy who... Uh, yes, he, he he got spun out early, had the, the tire go down. I never really could figure out if he spun on his own or if there was contact. It, well, Graham? Yeah. No, he got contact and then the flat tire from result okay. of the contact and had to come in and that immediately put him back at the back of the field and had a chance if he could get a timely caution Correct. to move back up there but wasn't able to. But uh, remember, Lungard got the pole. Was he on the pole for the GP in his first race? No, he was. I think he was front row. Okay, because this was his first pull, but I think yes. for for Graham to bounce back like he did in that race, yes, everyone talks about well, Graham can drive his way through the field. It's really hard when you don't have many cautions in this race. You you had three caution laps, yeah, and when you get spun out early, it's your whole day is saving fuel and finding a way to get the tire strategy right. Graham and his crew got the tire strategy right in this race. And didn't really have to save fuel because they had the extra pit stop because of the tire. So yes. they pitted four times, didn't really have to conserve. But for him, one more caution, yeah, he's he's definitely in the conversation in this race late. 
but and then Jack Harvey, good qualifying session, spun on his own, finished twentieth. Yeah. So it was a mixed bag of results, but at least we saw pace. And, and the issue is we weren't even seeing pace from this team right before last weekend. No, not at all. So it was a step forward, but it was it a blip on the radar, or can this be the start of something? Pretty solid for RLL. We'll have to see. What's your number three? Uh, my number three, this is pretty simple. What we saw at Coin, don't take out your teammate, right? And, and David Malukas <laughs> and Stingray rule, right? Rob. Uh, this was a situation where looked like to me that Grosjean got saved by those guys having contact. Right, because they were all pretty going in pretty hard in that mm-hmm. corner. And, and Malukas cut across. Rob was there. I don't even know if I necessarily have like blame to place on anyone. It was just a bang bang situation where things happened very quickly, you know, b- because Malukas and, and Grosjean were battling, and then Grosjean, honestly, again saved by the contact because it would have been even worse for him. They weren't giving an inch super early in the race. They get eliminated. Um, just just a bad day, and and. Not like this was major damage or anything, but you expect David Malukas to be strong in the oval. For Stingray Rob, this continues to be a, a struggle of a rookie season. And and you yeah. just hope something can turn around for him to get his confidence back. You hope, but you, who would you put that blame on? Was it a Stingray Rob issue you feel like? I felt like it was. Uh, I know both were kind of cooking it hard into the corner. Yeah, but. It, they... Either way, because of Malukas and Grosjean, they were going to miss the cor- they missed the corner, right? And, and then it was just like wrong place, wrong time, right? So, I I don't know, but it was Grosjean was lucky to to just go off track and, and that to be the worst of it, right? But his his race never really got underway. He ended up finishing eleventh and improved, but he didn't have it in qualifying, which I think was the bigger surprise. Yeah, I think that was the bigger thing was just not having it there. But, um, you know, when you have reasonably young drivers in that as a team, things are going to happen, right? So uh, luckily it wasn't catastrophic, but it was also concerning. Sometimes it just happens to be when you're in a bad position, just happens to be your teammate right next to you. And that's kind of what happened with those guys. So uh, that was my my second takeaway. It's just, it's pretty simple. Don't don't take don't out, take your, out teammate. your teammate. That's rule number one, right? And, and that is obviously rule number one in... In racing and just, uh, I don't want to say the word disappointing for the coin team. So yeah. Grosjean, so I'm, I'm rewatching this. Grosjean tapped Malukas and, and it, it's very tricky. So Grosjean missed the corner, but he got saved by their contact, basically. Right. I don't know. Either way, it's just a mess of a situation. What's your next takeaway? Uh, my final takeaway is is good, bad in terms of um, the weekend of people watching in person. Mm-hmm. Tremendous. Tremendous crowd at the Speedway. Watching on television, not so much. <laughs> and uh, we can never have both, it seems like, with IndyCar. And on uh, Saturday at the GP, you had boots on the ground, huge crowd, uh, in comparison to GPs, what was it, the biggest since, what, 2015? Yes, largest since 2015, according to IMS. We walked in, and we we're on the, the turn one of the road course viewing mound, and as we walked in, we thought, wow, this is a big crowd, because by the time we walked in, it was like 2.45. Right. That's a full hour before the green flag. Yeah. And we thought, this was already a big crowd, and then that showed, and 
the improved viewing mounds definitely helped in the infield. I didn't notice anything different from turn one because that's where I've always been. Yeah. But nearly 50,000 fans, 70,000 across the two days. So obviously there's demand. And I think it's a good kickoff to, to everything in May. Now, again, there's no need for a second race, right. especially if NASCAR switches back to the oval for next year, which I think is a strong possibility. Yep. I think we'll see that race go away. So it was great on the ground, uh, but not so much viewing. What was it? A little over seven hundred and twenty thousand people watching. Yeah, that's that's the part where it's, it's not just, good. It it's real bad. But now I get it. Last year you had a, a really good race due to the rain and, and and all of that, but it's it's tough for that that to be the, the TV number. Point four six rating. And more importantly, 715,000 viewers. Ooh, not even so. Last year, it got a .60 and 998,000 viewers. Yeah. I get it. It's a Saturday. It's Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, and but I guess if you get it good last year, you didn't can... fall on Mother's Day weekend. It, attendance was not the issue. The, the TV no. product, not great. Now, this was, according to Nathan Brown of the Indy Star, the only NBC races with a lower rating since NBC became the exclusive partner, and that's taking away races against the NFL weather-affected races in 2020, for, for obvious reasons. 2019 Mid-Ohio, 670,000. That's without digital. 22 Iowa, 743,000 with digital. Uh, and we don't know the, the Peacock audience for this either. Yeah. At, at what point is the Peacock audience big enough that it's actually making these numbers <laughs> so much worse? Like, it's a legitimate question. Right. Well, and the thing, too, is... Um... The Indianapolis 500 is going to, this is the reality right now, the 500 is going to have to be a strong rating from last year to set the tone to have the series have any chance of having growth in viewership this year because I don't think there's been a single race this year that has had a higher rating than the year before. Has there been? Maybe one. Maybe one. But but I don't remember it. Yeah. But so much comes down to the 500 anyway because it skews the numbers. But you need a good 500 number, I think, to have any sort of growth, traditional growth. And they can manipulate the numbers to make it sound, but I'm talking traditional, over-the-air, regular Nielsen ratings growth this season because of such the small start. And, you know, I know NASCAR's down and Formula One I don't, I don't really well, care what NASCAR the NASCAR was down. They're up. They're, now they've they been up, now? up for, I think, upper flat for five straight races. So... It's, I really think the, the Chase Elliott effect yeah, it could was be. real. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think, I don't like comparing F1 to NASCAR to IndyCar. IndyCar is its own thing, and its rating is down, pure and simple. And why? I don't know. That's a conversation for another day. Sometimes it's completely random. Sometimes there's some substance to it. But you need a good 500 rating to get back on track in the averages because I don't see it going up much the trend is, is, is down right now and it's not good. And if any car wants to, to thump its chest at the end of the year saying growth is up, it needs a good 500 number. I will say this. I, I, I think it's easy to put too much into the, the TV ratings and the, and the number of viewers each and every race weekend. I think to me, as long as the tracks are happy with attendance, yeah. with the way any car is at, because they don't have a massive TV deal. I think that's more important. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing growth in track attendance. Right. Has that hindered maybe the the TV watching? Maybe a little. I think more just the, the streaming aspect being a factor 
Yeah. It plays more of a role, to be honest. But if if track attendance was bad, I'd be more concerned. It, it's easy to True. nitpick over TV ratings. Totally, but that's what drives everything, though. I mean, you look, you need healthy events, for sure. Yeah. And that's and, good. And that's, that's first that's, and foremost. Yeah, that's paramount. That's that's first and foremost. But at the same time, you want a 30 OEM. You want added investors, all this stuff. That's where TV number comes into play. And unfortunately, right now, IndyCar's not trending in the right direction this season. It's not too late to right the ship, but the importance of qualifying weekend ratings and especially the 500 is going to be big. All right. Uh, those are one, three things. Yeah, those are three things. One other thing I didn't even get to, uh, Kyle Kirkwood, his penalty for having to go back behind Will Power after their contact. Which was like, a yes, terrible he, penalty in my he, opinion. I agree. Uh, on one hand, yes, he didn't have to do a drive through, but Power forced him off the track. What did you want him to do? Yeah. Yeah. Power went wide and he couldn't even slow down and get behind power really because he was in the grass. If he tried to do anything crazy, his car was going to spin out and maybe go back onto the track and take out multiple cars. So I thought that was a pretty crappy penalty. I don't think it got a lot as as much attention as it should have, but I thought it was a bogus penalty. I, I didn't know what you wanted Kirkwood to do in that situation. No, I, I, I just thought like, like if, if that's how you can, and look, to be fair, on one hand, we've seen this happen to other tracks, you know, Dixon and Pato Award at Long Beach. If that's how they're going to let them race, then you just got to adjust. But I thought that was a ridiculous penalty in the, in the situation uh, of what happened, because I thought like, what's he supposed to do? Right. We've seen worse Worst contact that wasn't a penalty. So why was that a penalty? That was my thing. I didn't agree with the call at all. Yeah, I I did not either. Uh, All right, so a couple other notes from this race over the weekend. First off, as far as manufacturer points, this is interesting from Trackside Online. Aaron McLaren has scored 214 points for Team Chevy in the Manufacturers Championship. 173 for Team Penske. Hmm. Who would have guessed that oh. going into the season? McLaren needs to get some wins. That's that's also very true. Um, meanwhile, elsewhere, as far as uh, the race, uh, 236 passes for position overall in this event. And it was also Scott Dixon's 350th start for Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, far and away, the most starts for a team. Elio is number two on the list with 310. Uh, with Team Penske, that's obviously not going up. AJ Foyt third with 262. Marco Andretti 250 with Andretti Autosport, so he could add to that for the 500. And Will Power at Team Penske with 226, so he will keep adding to that this season. And Elio Castroneves had a blown engine in practice. Brand new, the one he was going to use for qualifying, according to Nathan Brown. So uh, worse. Just a, a bad weekend. This keeps getting worse got, for Got shame, worse. For them really from the get-go and I think it was just a, a tough weekend overall for that team and it already sounds like one driver will be replaced and perhaps two. I we'll, think we'll, we'll both of that, them are going to be at least out, out of full-time seats next yes, year. Yes, I, I think they'll definitely have any 500 opportunities but beyond that. But I don't think the 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 uh, the solution is just the drivers either. There's deeper problems with that yes, team. Yes, I, I think so too. 
Uh, so that's a look at some other notes from the GMR Grand Prix at Indianapolis, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Meanwhile, shifting to the Oval, we've only had one day of practice, so I feel like it's it's impossible <laughs> to really know as far as qualifying favorites. I think the notable thing from day one, again, as we record this on Wednesday morning, so but before even Thursday practice, the no-tow list is dominated by Chevy. And in particular, Carpenter and Penske. But the top speeds dominated by Ganassi with what? Four of the top seven? So yeah, uh, you is... had Renus VK go 223-2 no-to uh, on Tuesday. That was the top no-to speed. And, and even you know more notable on the, the no-to chart as far as Renus VK, almost two miles per hour quicker than last year's leading no-to lap it was also set by VK as far as that time from trackside online on that. So that's something to keep in mind. I'm not really looking at no toe until tomorrow because yesterday and today talking Wednesday and Thursday, they're running in race trim. I mean, they're working on race setups and toe speeds is what matters. I mean, you're always getting toes in the race. So I'm not really going to, I don't really pay attention to no toes until tomorrow when the, the, it goes up until Friday when it goes up, and you're starting to lock into qualifying. And we were trading texts about this earlier this week with Tuesday effectively getting rained out. And you're you're limited now to just very much two days. Two days of long-term running for the race. Yeah, you have carb day. But that's that's, that's like an hour. That's, yeah, that's... Then you have the, the Tuesday practice that they've is added. Is that an all-day thing? No. I I don't believe so. So I, I I think yes. Why not start on Monday? I understand not starting on Sunday because it's Mother's Day. You're totally. not you're not going to draw a crowd. Well, it's, I'm not worried about Mother's Day. I'm about you need a day for teams to reconfigure their cars. The smaller teams that their their road course cars are also their oval cars and changing things over. I get it. Not doing Sunday. I couldn't care less about Mother's Day. Maybe that's a thing because I've been in careers where I work holidays. I've worked weekends. I've and and that doesn't bother me. Mother's Day, Father's Day, Labor Day, Memorial. I don't care. Like this is racing, and the the speedways open barely fifty days a year across the entire year with stuff going on. Like who cares about Mother's Day? Uh, in my opinion, all the all the all the people with mothers are gasping at me. But if I told my mom, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do anything for Mother's Day. I'm working. Then okay, it's not a big deal. Um, so you use Sunday to reconfigure the cars, which the teams are doing anyway. Correct. And then you start practice on Monday because when you have a rain out on Tuesday or any of the days, all of a sudden you're just down to two days and this whole month of May quote unquote thing effectively falls into, you have two days to prep for the race in terms of long-term running in terms of we're going to do an extended stint of 30 laps and see how that goes and come in and make a change and go out for another 30 laps and do that. And we have all day to do that. You're down to two days to effectively do that. That's not enough time in my opinion, particularly with how they prop this event up and all the practice time you hear about all the practice time you have, you lose one day, you're down to two days. If you lost one day, let's say if or two days, if it, if it rained Tuesday and Wednesday, you're down to one day to figure out things. It's just not enough time. No, and the other thing is, so that it's actually a uh, Monday practice on May 22nd, but that's just from 1 to 3. So yeah, that's it's, not enough time, it's not, And that's, you're already in the race. Now, for teams behind the eight ball, whether you're 
Indy 500 one-off or you're struggling for speed. Like R.C. Anderson, he had to yeah. use Wednesday morning to pass his rookie orientation. Now, thankfully for him and the team, that was not really an issue. Uh, they got through all but like one lap that was needed to to pass, and then he, he ran a practice lap. You know, when it was open for everyone during the noon to six period, it, it was fine, and it's not been an issue. But for people struggling for speed, like Callum Eilat on day one struggled. Um, that that's a serious issue, and you need all the time you can get when you you look at you know how how things play out. If you're struggling, if you're behind the eight ball. That's a real problem. And for him to be, you know, a half a mile an hour, it doesn't sound like much, but to be that far behind RC Anderson after day one of practice, like, that's a problem, right? It is a problem. I mean, he couldn't run regularly in traffic until yesterday afternoon. Yeah. He, until he, Wednesday he, afternoon. He, he, he took even, most of the early afternoon off. He couldn't even crack 220 yeah. most of the day. Like now all of a sudden he's up against it. It's Thursday and RC Anderson's team is up against it because... And and it's on them of missing the open test for sure. There's no practice on Monday for some stupid reason. They're ra- rained out on Tuesday. Wednesday morning has to be his rookie orientation. They're focused solely on that. They cannot start th- even thinking about the race itself until yesterday afternoon, Wednesday West Wednesday afternoon. This is wait. I I don't understand why they don't practice on Monday. There's and don't really g- don't give me the, the it's Mother's Day and people need to be off like no that's that's bogus it's bogus Sunday was Mother's Day Monday that's what I'm saying Monday, but there's no there's no impact but they but they build in Sunday as like track officials and everything off Sunday and then they can start working on stuff Monday or whatever I don't know how it works but Sunday's fine no no track activity Sunday you start track activity on Monday it used to be like that I don't understand why it's not a full week of practice for teams. And you know what? If you open up Monday and there are very few teams that go out, so what? Like at least they have the option and I, I don't think they should worry about I know maybe this is what it's worried about is people not going on Monday. I'm guessing that's but the reason. The teams need it. Not even if the fans aren't there, the teams need it. You're telling me there's an appreciable jump from Monday to Tuesday? Also, you throw in the fact that there's no guarantee you're going to get, you know, four Full practice days. I mean, rarely you the, get the four weather in May is very day. hit or miss, yeah. right? So, well, it's it's hit or miss in Indiana. Hit, period. Three sixty five. right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no guarantee you're going to get four full days. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, and Friday is different because you're working on qualifying. You have the boost added up. So, we're going to see fast laps Friday as long as the weather holds. But you just there are no guarantees with that. So, why not start on Monday? Yeah, I don't if, understand. if you're doing it to give everyone Sunday off, I don't know. Like, here's the thing: there, your Indy 500 cars, teams are working on ready. Sunday. Teams yeah. are working on Sunday, correct? Even Unless though they get Monday off. Yes, I think it's an Indy Indianapolis Motor Speedway thing. I think they probably operate at a loss on Monday with practice because there's not a lot of people going compared to workers. I get that. They probably want to ease into the week because the next two weeks is gangbusters, right? And they want to take their time to reconfigure everything from Saturday and all that stuff. Oh, they don't want to have too many people work on Sunday in terms of track workers. No, it's it's May at Indianapolis. You're working. The race ends on Saturday. Sunday, you use it to get everything ready for the week of practice. The teams are working. You can work Monday morning, 10 o'clock. The week of Indianapolis 500 practice starts. Boom. If you're on track, cool. If you're not on track, cool. But you have the opportunity because Mark, you you could look at R.C. Anderson. He could have got all that stuff done on Monday, and then 
Tuesday rained out and he hits the ground running on Wednesday morning, but instead he's still messing around yesterday afternoon, trying to pass phase three of the rookie test and uh, rookie orientation. And it just puts everybody behind the Bay eight ball. I mean, God forbid it, it rained Thursday and you take that out and you only have one day, man. I mean, one of these years we're going to have a really wet week of, of Indy 500 practice where there's going to be hardly any practicing going on. And I just don't understand it. I, I don't understand why you don't, run on Mondays at least have the option to run Mondays well and the thing is that they're not you're not starting May 1st anymore like they used to or even right. earlier you know having four days of qualifying you're doing two days of qualifying yeah so you've kind of condensed the schedule as it is why not take advantage of the time that's available and that's that's my thing is people talk about so much practice time for Indy not really no you have three days during the week. And if you lose one of those days, like we did this year, you're down to two days of regular running before you get the boost on Friday and all eyes are on qualifying, right? Two days is not a lot of time. And I just don't understand why it's not a full week. So looking at the times and look, there's, uh, you can't read too much into this because we don't know who's doing, you know, qual sims, who's on fresh tires, all of that. Right. But it's clear that Ganassi, is fast. It's clear that um, you look at the teams that are struggling. Callum Eilat's struggling. RC Anderson, I wouldn't say struggling's the word, but it will be tough. Do I think Able Motorsports and RC Anderson can make the race? Yes, I do. But I think there will be other people. Uh, Christian Lungard, once again, struggling on the oval. You know, is the are the Ray Hall struggles? Is it a Ray Hall team struggle or is it just Lungard struggling? Yeah. And uh, Catherine Legg. First IndyCar race in, in what, like 10 years? Uh, with Ray Hall, she was 31st on the speed chart. Roman Grosjean, 30th. Devlin Francesco 29th. Ed Carpenter, 28th, but he's one of the top guys on the NOTO. So it's a whole it's a whole varying thing. You can't read too much into everything. But for people like Enerson and Eilat and, and even Lungard and Leg, I'd say yes, there's legitimate concern. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, even, I think... Some other guys uh, that are in there that, that that weren't as quick because you don't have a lot of time to figure it out. And and that's the big thing, too, with, with, with lack of time is if you – we talk about weekends, regular race weekends. If you roll off the truck behind, you're, you're t- it's going to be tough to make that up. You're reaching a point with the lack of Indy 500 practice that if you roll off the truck, quote-unquote roll off the truck, uh, behind at Indy, there's not a lot of time to get it right. And it could either mean competitive cars or it could mean making the race, depending on which team you're with. So that's kind of the first thing. The other thing to take away, first car on track has never won the race. Who was it? Scott McLaughlin. Oh, he's toast. Yeah. So uh, Penske's always, you know, first out. We've seen him finish second. Uh, Drivers finish second, but that from Chad 200. Uh, You go back and last year, the first car on track uh, was also Scott McLaughlin. In 2021, is Takuma Sato. He finished 14th. The best finishes? Now, several have started on the pole. Ryan Briscoe in 2012, Elio in 2010. But the best finishes, Marco Andretti in 2006 when he was second, and Elio Castroneves in 2014 when he was second. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, the last driver to even finish in the top 10, who was first on track. That was back in 2019 when he was in fourth. Yes, it... Uh... We'll see what happens, but um, I wonder if it's like a, a 
who's going to blink first type go out. I know Penske doesn't buy into uh, any superstitions or anything, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to be the first one out. No, no. And, and the other note, as far as the speeds, so Sato was fastest last year uh, as far as the fastest practice lap before Fast Friday, 228.939 last year. This year, day one, already up there on the speed chart at 229.439. So, so you monster know, do, toes. Do, 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 we, do we see the pole sitter, you know, as far as qualifying goes? Do we do we need an average above two thirty three? No, no, I don't think so. What what was the pole speed last year? So last year, Scott Dixon, his four lap average, uh, let's see, was two thirty four point oh four six. Hmm. So I think we'll see above two thirty three. Uh yeah, I would say I, over two thirty three. I don't think we get as far in, as the average yes. now. That was the fastest pole in 500 history. Yeah. Do we touch Ari Leindyke's nearly 237 in 96? I don't, I don't think, think so, so. Because then you're running, you have to run a couple laps at about 239. Yeah. Your first couple laps before you start bleeding off uh, in the latter couple laps of that. So I, I just don't think so. And, and track conditions are everything too. Um, but I don't see an appreciable jump from last year. I, I would be surprised I, I think the pole speed is less than what we saw last year. I think it's a 233. I think it's up because the temperatures look better as far as where we're at. We're talking 70s, not 80s. Yeah. And if there's any bit of cloud cover, which there it was helps. some last year, I don't know if we'll get that as much, though, this year. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, let's make some terrible predictions. Oh, who, yeah. We've got to be better than our gro- double Grosjean yeah. pick last who, week. Who idiots. misses the race? It's a good, good question. Um, at this point, I'm saying Enerson. Um, and I will directly tie it to the lack of of uh, track time. Now, that team, it's on them for missing the open test because I think that was huge, for particularly for that team. But I just think they're playing from behind the eight ball too much. There's too much experience elsewhere in the paddock. Is um, They need to find it. They need to find it fast. They don't have a a technical alliance with anybody. They're trying to figure it out. Um, I, I just think th- there's too many things stacked against them that they're continue for me to be the easy pick to miss the race. I think it will also be a rookie. I don't think Enerson. I'm going to go with Benjamin Peterson. Really? I think someone's going to crash in qualifying and that will. Yeah, that I could definitely see that. I, I'm not concerned about RC Enerson crashing unless the car is just completely unsafe. And I didn't get those vibes yesterday uh, on, on uh, Wednesday as we record this Thursday morning, I didn't get those vibes as far as the team and the car, the confidence level. I just think we'll see one of the rookies miss it, whether it's Benjamin Peterson, Augustine Canapino, Stingray Rob, or R.C. Enerson, who at least has attempted to qualify. So I'm going to go with Peterson, Benjamin Peterson, to miss the race. It's amazing we're not talking about Canapino despite his right? limited experience right? on an oval. Now, when you're talking crashing and qualifying, I guess one of the built-in safeguards against that in the current system is... If you crash Saturday, you can come back and race for the f- final spots on yeah. Sunday. Are you talking about maybe just pushing it too much on Sunday after finishing in the bottom three on Saturday? Or do you see a crash and then just not being able to find that speed after a rebuilt car on the, Sunday? The latter. Right. I mean, we saw that a, a couple years ago with what? Alonzo, right? Yeah. Where they just they, they couldn't find the speed. Couldn't find the speed, yeah, after um, issues. So I, I just think someone will crash on Saturday and then 
just can't they'll find just it. be behind the eight ball. Now, as far as pole sitter, pole sitter and average speed. Okay, the pole sitter and the average speed. I'm going to go two thirty three eight. Do you need another number? No. I'm waiting on I'm waiting on your pick for the point. I will go two thirty three eight for is it too easy? I'm gonna take Pato Award. Okay. I was about to say Alex Pillow, but I'm gonna say it's too easy right now. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna go, go with I'm gonna take the easy choice and go with Scott Dixon. Again for the poll. Uh two thirty four three. Okay. There you go. Don't bet those picks. Yes. I'm sure they are absolutely going to be wrong. No. So that's that's our picks uh, as far as missing the race and winning the poll. It's way too early for me to even dive into the who's going to be in the fast 12 conversation, totally. who's going to be 30 through 34. I really need to see runs on Friday before I really start yeah. going, okay, this uh, Ganassi was impressive. Ganassi's going to have race pace. That's obvious. But will they have qualifying pace? They have in previous years. But will they have it this year? I just have to wait till Friday to see. But I think Saturday could be very fascinating, Caleb, because with the potential of rain uh, in Speedway on Friday, it looks like afternoon, evening type. How much rain? Does it wipe the the track clear of of the majority of the rubber? They get some running time on Saturday morning. But could we have a largely green track when we start qualifying? I think that could really change things up as well. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing to to watch as far as the weather goes because I think the speeds will be quick, especially Saturday because we're talking about temps in the low seventies. Yeah, it's now gonna it is going to be sunny. Yeah, so you're not getting an advantage of cloud cover like they got last year, despite it being warmer. And it's supposed to be a slow warm up on mm-hmm. Saturday, which people are like, "Well, what's that matter?" Well, the problem with the current with the problem with qualifying 34 cars is a lot can change when you go from one to 34. Right. And so if we can have temps around the same temperature throughout most of that time, it's going to be good. And right now the, the, the high may not even hit 70 in speedway on Saturday, which is perfect because if you're running at say the first spot at 61 degrees and then 34th goes and it's 66 degrees, there's not a lot of change. I mean, there's change for sure, but we're not talking starting at 62 degrees and by the time 34 goes, it's 81 degrees. You know what I mean? So I think this will this will then maybe um, maybe limit the impact on where you're at in the qualifying order as opposed to other years. But a rogue cloud or or sunshine can also play a big difference as well. If you agree or disagree with our picks, let us know. You can always reach us, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free to subscribe. You'll get uh, emails for episodes and any special announcements that we have to make. You can also check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale uh, for you there. And you can follow us on social media, IndyCar Podcast, the handle on Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, just search for New Track Record. And you can be a supporter via Patreon, patreon.com slash new track record. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, Stitch, and others for their support. Again, starting at just as little as $1 per month. And as always, you can listen for free on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, CastBox, wherever you, you listen to podcasts for free. 
mailbag time and plenty to dive into this week, of course, because, well, we had a race last week. So we'll start with rate the race in the Indy GP. What rating would you give it? I gave it a six. I would give it a six as well. Um, It was all right. The primary versus alternate conversation early on was intriguing. Once that got figured out, though, there wasn't much, and Alex Pillow ran away. One caution didn't help. Um, I give it a six. Uh, Mom, 2X over 2002. This is from Courtney. Gave it a one. For all the commercials, no side-by-side on Peacock. Four or five for the race. Kind of boring, but happy for Aero McLaren. Here, here's the thing. I get people complaining on Peacock. Just buy an antenna. It's like 20 bucks. <laughs> Watch on NBC. Um, I'm telling you. Like, and- if you're annoyed by the no side-by-side, that's how you take it. Here's my thing with side-by-side. And um, I guess a lot of people watch live, and I usually don't. Like, I fast-forward even with it's side-by-side. Yeah. If it comes back and something happened, then I'll rewind. But uh, if something happens during the break, whether it's side-by-side or not, NBC will show it. Correct. Again, right? So, I don't know. I, I know some people are locked into side-by-side, and, and it's needed. The 500 is nice when that's up, for sure, but... I don't necessarily need it, but I understand why people are upset about it. But again, just get an antenna, people. Tudor Any gave it a seven and a half, much better than most of the GPs at IMS. KS at the beginning and intriguing strategy to follow throughout. Daniel SEM 2004 gave it a six, nothing special, just a typical indie GP, almost like an F1 race. Left underscore brigade gave it a seven. Question marks around tires kept the excitement high on the track. Lots of good hard braking passes on the front straight. With mistakes, taking the battle over the next few turns. Good start to the month of May. I don't think we can compare it to an F1 race because what was it? The last F1 race, where was that at? Miami. Miami had 60 passes for position. Yeah. This had And this had 236. So there's a ways to go until we're comparing <laughs> Formula One and IndyCar in terms of that respect. Uh, playing spades, one out of 10 out of principle. The Indy GP is mid. Racing wise, five out of 10. Uh, that from Plan Spades. Uh, Big D Cart gave it a six. Watch it from the new Turn One viewing mound. That was fun. Yeah, it's a good. That's a good place. That's that's where I watched that race. Hunter's Way sixty seven gave it a seven. Thought it was good. Plo ran away with it at the end, but as per IndyCar, plenty of action behind him. RLL screwed Lungard by not bringing him in two laps earlier. You got to get everything right, right? And yeah, that's and the thing. Nasty and teams are that. teams are incapable of doing that, and that's why only two teams win championships and that's why right now only four teams win races and i mentioned this to you 32 races since a team or a a, a driver not with one of the quote-unquote power four yeah have won a race not since elio winning the 500 which is crazy but it makes sense and people are going to say well it's 14 of 27 cars i get that but at the same time you can't continue to tell me how competitive and unpredictable this series is and anybody can win a race when that's not true there's four teams that can win races right now. And that is facts based on almost two entire seasons. Caleb, 32 races now. Yeah. I mean, you, a you and if, if you go through the Indy 500, that is two full seasons. Yes. Two full seasons without a winner outside of the top four teams. Jamin T14, seven enjoyable event. Daguerre gave it a six. Pretty good for an Indy GP, but lacked memorable moments. Rain or a caution at the end would have been a different story. Yeah. Well, yes, that's 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 the GP in a nutshell. I was hoping you would bring out the garden hose in turn one and start spraying <laughs> down the track to bring something out. Would have helped. Polit Shevchenko, the drivers kept it mostly clean, like there wasn't really a clearly preferred tire strategy. Plo showed why he's Ganassi material. McLaren got everything but a win. 
I'd have liked some rain, though, 7 out of 10. Uh, Jeff Zerneski, 7.5. Differing strategies help keep it interesting. Plo rain away at the end. Good to see a non-Pinsky car win this race. Yeah, Pinsky's dominated this event. They have. Uh, up until, what, last year? Here's a question for you, and I know we're coming off a GP last year that we had, what, like eight or nine cautions, but it was yeah. kind of in the wet. Yeah. Is do you feel like there's a more measured approach by teams and drivers to the GP as opposed to any other race during the season because it's only a few days from the start of the 500 practice and they're like I know they have most of them have different cars but they're like I I just want to get through this race. I don't want to have a wrecked race car taking it back to the shop and got to deal with that and and adjusting everything, getting ready. Do you feel like drivers maybe are a little bit more measured in what they do in the GP because of that? Or is that impossible to take out of race car drivers? I I don't think so because race car drivers are going to go for it. Maybe the teams wanted to be more cautious, but yeah. here's the thing. It's a road course with plenty of runoff. So unless yeah. you screw up, you know, coming through turn one of the, the oval on the final turn. Yeah. Like and get into the be, wall there. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be pretty hard That's true. To, to get a lot of damage to your that car. That is true. It's a good point. Um, Elsewhere, Jeremy from HBG gave it a seven. That RLL decision on the scuff reds was about a negative five. Uh, Firehawk 89 gave it an eight. Run underscore mark underscore run gave it a seven. Unrelated, ready for a track tenderloin on carb day. Uh, mm. Yeah, we will be out there. So we'll get to that in a bit. Aaron J. Richmond, uh, anytime Penske or Dixon doesn't win, it's an automatic six for me. And it was a fifth winner in five races. I get to a seven. DC Soda gave it a seven, I think. Needed a spot of rain, but still fun. Just begging Ganassi to get a driver that doesn't bore me to tears <laughs> an hour a day closer to practice, which is a 10. T. Jarrett, 312, gave it a 1. And finally, beyond the flag, 16.8006. Uh, they're clearly trolling us. So They are, but uh, I'm sure there it. was a, a appreciable metric of some sort that beyond the flag used to get that number. Oh, I, I'm sure very scientific yes, data I'm sure they could break it down for us. Exactly. Break down the algorithm. So that is rate the race. Uh, thanks to A Saters, A S A T E R S on Twitter. Uh, he has a printable scanner frequency list for any 500 practice and qualifying. So check out his Twitter for that. It's very helpful if you're going to the track. Um, we we debated, you know, as far as should any 500 practice begin on Monday. You posted a poll. Uh, nearly 88 percent of you said yes. 12 percent said no. As far as a couple of re replies here, Curtis Boggs said, I voted yes because May 1st was a Monday this year. Yeah. Valid point. DC Soda, yes, they should give as much time as possible to get practice in, even if it's five days to get four days of practice, fine. We can't have these one-off teams and then limit their track time even more. Exactly. I totally agree. Yes. I, I, I fully agree with all of that. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere, uh, Poet Shevchenko on the, the TV rating. Uh, with the numbers, where are the fans going? I noticed fewer views on both IndyCar's YouTube channel and fan channels too. I don't know. It's a great it, question. If we could answer that question, we'd probably be paid at least somewhat by IndyCar. Yes. So I I have no idea. Now your whole thing that upset some people on me upsetting five races, people five winners, but Ganassi, Penske, Andretti, Penske, Ganassi as far as the race winners this year. Ten straight races won by the big three. Thirty-two straight by the big four. And a few replies on this. Hickey 93, the big four encompasses 14 of the 27 full-time entries, though. I, I get that, but... It's still half of your field can't win a race. Yes. 500 Indy 1911. Based on the pattern, 
Here's the rest of the winners this season. <laughs> this was great. The 500 will be Ganassi, Detroit, Penske, Road America, Andretti, Mid-Ohio, Penske, Toronto, Ganassi, Iowa, Ganassi, Iowa, Penske, Nashville, Andretti, Indy, Penske, Gateway, Ganassi, Portland, Ganassi, Laguna, Penske. We'll see That's how that done. plays Don't out. even have to watch the rest yeah. of the season. Yeah, but why even bother? Like the, we, we already know the results. The point stands is there is a lot of competitiveness between the top four teams in the series. There's not a lot of competitiveness throughout the entire series in terms of winning races. And another point of that is how excited we got for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lane. And could they actually have figured it out? Could this actually be a team that could win a race? No, they, they screwed it up uh, on Saturday. So 32 races, folks, almost two full years since a team not with the big four, or excuse me, a driver not with the big four has won a race. That's a long time. And yet, we are still hammered over that about how competitive this series is and anybody can do anything on any, on any given weekend. That's not true. And we talked about why. And a big reason is the lack of innovation in the sense of a new engine formula or a chassis is the longer the chassis has been around. And what is it? 12 years? Yeah. 12 years is, is, the power teams have figured out every little thing they possibly can with this. And eventually the longer you have a product go, the the more the big teams are going to be able to figure out every secret. If you bring a new chassis on board, hopefully the hybrid technology brings this is you reset everything to zero. And sometimes the small teams can hit on something that the big teams haven't yet. And they have a momentary advantage and they can use that. Right. But eventually things even out or eventually the teams with more money get ahead. But then how you combat that is then you change things and everything goes back to zero again. We haven't changed things at the chassis in 12 years. Well, we, I mean, little, little, you yeah, know, the, the universal the aero, aero screen, kits, the aero I would screen. say the, between the aero kits in, in 2015, 16, 17, and then they added like a piece, I think in 2019, like the advanced frontal protection, uh, yeah, right? which was just a, a little, blip, a little blip, something. And then in 2020, obviously, the aero screen. Really, since the aero screen, that's the last major yeah. change. That did impact things quite a bit for some drivers. Yeah. But that's now they've true. had it's enough time to adjust. It's a good that. point. I just don't think there's enough changes going on. Here, here's my theory, and I told you this, is I'm not saying that Roger Penske is not making changes purely to keep Penske's competitive advantage. But I will say... Team Penske, if Roger Penske was Mike Shank, let's say Mike Shank was owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis 500 or the IndyCar Series, he would probably be pushing for a new car. Why? Because Michael Shank racing right now can't compete. And if you have a new chassis, everything resets. You can try to find some advantages. But Roger Penske's not pushing for a new car. And I have to think consciously, or subconsciously, part of that is, well, we're not having problems competing. Yeah, why would so you? So what do I care? And that's not the right approach. But yeah. I'm not saying that Roger Penske's purposely doing that. I'm saying subconsciously, why would he push for that? Yeah, and same with Ganassi, same with Andretti, same with yeah. um, you know, all that. Uh, one other thing to get to as far as um, someone else with a response as far as the, the practice days, Tyler underscore Allen GP should be moved up to just after Barber and the two April test days should be moved into May and kick off Thursday, the week prior to pull day, the full week leading up to pull day. But in this day, I don't know what teams really required compared to the past. Well, back in the day, you required more time because you had new chassis every year. You mm-hmm. had different regulations every year. Yeah. With everything the same. It, it does require less time. 
but it's not like they're just sitting here twiddling their thumbs. It's yeah. valuable track time. I mean, a lot in in the past, you were bringing a car that in some instances you hadn't even run yet anywhere. Yeah. And you didn't know if the first time you put it out, there'd be massive oil leak and, and have to bring it back in and, and all that stuff. So when you were bringing new engines and new chassis and new designs every year, you were really starting from zero. Like we said, when you're trying to reset the field for the season, you're starting at zero and you have a lot to figure out. That's why, hence you needed more practice time. I'm not saying we need to go back to two plus full weeks of practice, but at the same time, it can't be three days either. And then if you factor in some rain, um, and I'm talking three days of regular running, I'm not calling counting fast Friday because fast Friday is different. Uh, you, you, you're cutting it to three days. And if you have weather, it could be two days down to one day. And for some of these teams and for all these teams, it's not fair, but particularly the smaller teams. No, that wraps up the mailbag for this week. Time for news and notes. And first up, uh, this came down as we record on Thursday morning. Stephanie Beatrice will be the honorary grand marshal for the Indy 500. And you may say who? Well, I recognize her face. She's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, the TV show. Uh, also starring in Twisted Metal, which is on Peacock coming out Ooh, July 27th. Did you ever play that game, Twisted no. Metal? No, I did not. Oh, it was great. That premieres again July 27th on Peacock. So um, that is your grand marshal. Um, let's see what else. A lot of great articles by Nathan Brown of the Indy Star this week at one on the relationship between Tony Kanaan and Elio Castroneves, Graham Rahal on his future. Basically, to, to sum it up, the sponsors in the contract are tied to Graham's name. So, you know, what does he do? He still wants to keep racing. He's, he's not up to retire. Yes, he's as he gets older, he's dealing with some pain. But will he leave Rahal? I, I'd be shocked. Me too. And I think a big part of that is those business deals that he's cultivated that are his but they're the teams as well is and a lot of those I'm sure would be contingent on wherever he goes. They would want to go. Correct. Because the relationship he's built. I just don't know if he wants to undermine his father and the team. And it's almost a tough position because he he's either going to be selfless or selfish. If he's selfish and I wouldn't blame him for doing this, he would want to go to a different team to try to change his luck. If he's selfless and I wouldn't blame him for doing this, he feels like I have an obligation to this team that my name is on, my last name is on, and I'm probably going to be uh, a Michael Andretti type once I retire from racing and running this team and, mm-hmm. and growing it. Uh, so that's the decision he has to make. And and does doing one compromise the other? If he breaks off and does his own thing, does that hurt the legacy and then what he takes over eventually? If he stays, obviously that could hurt him in potentially being able to win more races before he retires. So he has a massive decision to make. I don't think either of them are wrong, but neither one of them are 100% right either. Yeah. It's, it's not a guarantee either way in this situation. Totally. The, the, the one notable thing uh, also throw out there of, of the story is quite simply. Graham said he hasn't had talks with his dad about contract stuff. He, he runs that through Mike Lanigan. And so that's something to keep in mind um, as far as, Look, this this contract was like a, a long term. It's like like a five or six year yeah. deal, and is I remember it is an out. It was a very long term deal, so it's hard to believe we're already coming to the end of that. Meanwhile, Marcus Erickson, uh, who said not bad for a pay driver after or last year's Indy five hundred, well, uh, telling Nathan Brown and the Indy Star he doesn't want 
his next contract, whether it's with Chip or someone else, he doesn't want to be a pay driver. Yes, so he's still bringing money, but he wants to be hired on merit, and we'll see how that plays out for him. I think he's earned that right, obviously, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, It'll be a fascinating thing to watch because effectively Chip Ganassi let Alex Pelot go, didn't want to pay him as much as he wanted. Yep. Okay. Now he's in a position where Marcus Erickson once paid. He doesn't want to be bringing money. Is Chip Ganassi in a position to pay Marcus Erickson? It hasn't hurt Chip Ganassi yet because he still has Scott Dixon and he won a 500 last year with Erickson. He's won a championship with below. But at some point, he has to start spending money, right? Like, McLaren's coming in and spending money. Somebody's going to spend money on Marcus Erickson if he, if he goes somewhere else. Like, at some point, Chip Ganassi needs to open the pocketbooks and be like, man, if I'm going to still compete, especially once Scott Dixon is gone, I'm going to have to pay some of these guys. The good news is Husky Chocolate is available for purchase in the U.S. thanks to the Marcus Erickson kit. It's $49. You get a 12-pack of Husky Chocolate RTD, which I assume means ready to drink, uh, a first cap. It's got the Marcus Erickson logo and the 500 winner and the eight on it. Uh, You get a a baseball card from Chip Ganassi. They have their baseball card collection and a lanyard as well. So... That's step one. Step two was Husky Chocolate. Remember, he's sponsored by Husky Ice Spritz this uh-huh. year. And so that will be available in the U.S. And that is a, a different thing. So uh, Adam Stern reporting it will be available in 15 states by September, largely in the Midwest and other states that IndyCar will race in like California. So you'll be able to buy that, uh, the alcoholic beverage, coming up in the fall. So you'll at least have some access in for Marcus Erickson, also on the line, $420,000 bonus mm. if he can go back-to-back because Borg Warner does that rollover they jackpot. Do. Yep. So a lot going on with Marcus Erickson. A lot uh, to follow. He's getting plenty of calls. Does he move? We'll we see. shall see. Meanwhile, uh, Robert Wickens uh, says he wants to be the first uh, disabled Indy 500 racer next year. We've heard about this. We'll see how the tech moves forward and if this is a possibility and is that seat still waiting for him at McLaren, right? Hmm. Yeah. Right? Now that they're going to be at five next year, I mean, would well, they... Would they go to five? They'll be at four, but will they go to five? Well, that's contingent on would they add four full, a full-timer next year. If they do that, and then they have Kyle Larson, that's five. Would they run then Robert Wickens in a sixth? They wouldn't do that, right? Or would he be, you know, because he's competing with Brian Hurd at Autosport in uh, uh, the IMSA series? Yeah. You know, would would he, the IMSA Challenge Series, would he just go with that team as part of the Andretti umbrella? Potentially, yeah. Regardless, I, I can't wait to see it. He's going to do it at some point. I, I hope so. Full article on autosport.com as far as the possibilities. Um, they, they believe it's possible. They have some time to figure it out from a technical standpoint, uh, Brian Hurd is saying, but he's behind the plan to, to get him to, to return just comes down to what they figure out as far as an in, in IndyCar. Um, they can get them in and out of the with the aero screen, right? So right. They, they figure that aspect out. It's just there's a lot at play and from a safety standpoint and a technical standpoint to make it happen. I agree. I, I think it's only a matter of time, but um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Speaking of Andretti, 
Wayne Taylor Racing and Andretti Autosport announced a two-car GTP program in IMSA starting in 2024. So remember, Andretti Autosport with a, a stake in Wayne Taylor Racing, so that'll be another thing to watch on the sports car side and could see you know, an extra entry for IndyCar because of sports car guys coming over to crew an Indy 500 only entry. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, I forgot to mention this, Marcus Erickson unleashing the dragon, the documentary. Uh, that you, you said it was watch. very good. Very good. So it's on the in, uh, motorsports on NBC YouTube. Uh, you can check it out. Just search for unleashing the dragon. Very well done. It's, it's James Hinchcliffe basically sitting down with Marcus Erickson in a movie theater as Marcus rewatches last year's Sweet. 8500 for the first time. It's it's really well done. Uh, so highly recommend that. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Lewis Hamilton, as far Never as testing an IndyCar. Uh-huh. It's got to be an old school IndyCar, so we can throw out all the hype of it. Ah. So Penske PC23, right? I, I think that's... Yeah. That's got to be Get a given. there. It's more powerful than what they got now. Yeah. that that's That's true. Um, let's see a couple other thoughts. I forgot to get to on the mailbag DC soda on the, the, the number of teams as far as the balance, this attempted gotcha. You guys keep trying to make stick is more tiring Four teams over half the field, having a shot. That one is absolutely competitive and it's funny to suggest otherwise. Plus everyone knows this is directed at F1. No, it's not. That's not what this is directed at at all. No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, I don't know how you can argue it is competitive when half the field can't win a race for the last two years. Yeah, F1 we know is one team. Yes, it's one team, one team but out of ten. For IndyCar, the fact that we haven't had it outside of the big three now, big four, win a race going back to the 2021 Indy 500, that, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. This is not a shot at F1. That's uh, and It's a problem because the longer it goes, the more it becomes the narrative. And maybe not outwardly, but within the paddock and getting new entries. And eventually we're going to have some subtraction in this paddock. It's not going to keep growing. I, I highly question if AJ Foyt Racing is around much past AJ's passing, if that ever happens. Because they're not, they're not good. I, I mean, they're, they're funded by Benjamin Peterson and the money he's bringing to the yeah, table it's, and then the other entry. It, they it, piece together. It's basically a shoestring operation, and they're not getting any better. And I remember when Larry Foyt was brought in, he was going to be the the person to turn it around. And then they got um, you know, ABC Supply and uh, all this. Then they were going to get this. It's and they got Rocket. Then they got Rocket, and it's it's never happened. And I, I think hopefully AJ is around another ten years. I just don't think that team can last another ten years. Um, so eventually you're going to have some contraction, but you're going to speed up that contraction if teams can't compete for winning races. If in four years from now, we're having the same conversations about Meyer Shank. And I know Mike Shank loves the Indy 500 and IndyCar, but what's keeping Mike Shank around in IndyCar if he goes six races, six years without winning a race? That's all I'm saying. Makes it very, very hard. Absolutely. A couple other notes to get to. The... IndyCar hybrid system, this from motorsport.com, could be most effective on ovals. Go figure. Mm. Because falling from behind, you can save energy as far as drafting. So we'll see how that plays out. Honda and Chevy working together to figure out this new hybrid unit that will be in place next year. Meanwhile, Kyle Busch says he's no longer making calls to teams trying to land an Indianapolis 500 ride in future years. I don't know if it will ever happen. 
That's what he told Bob Pockris. I believe it happens, but maybe not as soon as people would like. But all eyes are on Kyle Larson right now. We're running next year's 500. And in a final note, David Malsher Lopez leaving motorsport. So longtime rider there. He will be, and also did suffer Autosport and Autosport Magazine. Um, But for him, he is returning back to Racer. He'll become editor of Vintage Motorsport Magazine, which is under the Racer umbrella. So congrats to him on on the new gig. Maybe he can uh, chip into some IndyCar stuff here or there. Yeah. And, you know, he's got plenty to write about since the chassis are vintage, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> you could just cover the series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vintage That's racing funny. series. Sorry, I couldn't help but make that joke. All right, time for our random split error driver of the week. All right, we're going to uh, the IRL right now for our uh, random split error driver of the week, and we're going to go to, let's see, 2002 and go with Hideki Noda. A guy I've actually heard of. Yes. Um, two different teams. In 2002, he started the season with Convergent Racing. Never heard of them. Me neither. They don't even have a Wikipedia page. Um, And then took the middle of the season off and then appeared in three races with Indy Regency Racing. I've actually heard of that. Yeah, towards the end of the season, his best finish was 10th at Phoenix with Convergent Racing. His best finish with Indy Regency Racing was at Gateway, 17th. But that was it. He actually raced two years in Indy Lights with Indy Regency Racing. Actually won a race at Portland in 1997. People know him uh, worldwide as being in three F1 Grand Prix, or is it Grands Prix? That's right. I always got to get that right. Grands Prix. Grands Prix. Debuting in the 1994 European Grand Prix. Uh, did not score any championship points. He replaced Yannick Dalmas in the uh, La Russe car. Don't remember that Me car. neither. Uh, failed to finish in any of the three racers. He hoped to join Simtech in 1995, but um, the folding of the Simtech team ended that uh, idea. Uh, after that, he did um, some racing, uh, some Grand Prix racing in Japan and did some Formula 3000s, uh, uh, both in Japan and elsewhere, some Super GT stuff in Japan as well. Did some Le Mans races in the late 2000s. But uh, only that one season, six races in uh, IndyCar, or the, excuse me, the Indy Racing League, Convergent Racing, three races, Indy Regency Racing, three races, and was done after that. Still with us, 54 years old, native of Osaka, Japan, Mr. Hideki Noda, this week's Random Split Era Driver of the Week. All right, that wraps up this week's uh, episode recap of the GMR Grand Prix at IMS. If you miss it, we have a special interview with Callum Eilat that we did earlier this week. And next week, be sure to be looking for another special driver interview episode to drop as well as we build up. And don't forget, I tease this, we're doing a live show on Carb Day. So Carb Day IMS, 3 to 4 p.m. We'll do a live show. You can listen live, 1380thefan.com, 1380thefan app or your smart speaker uh, live, or if you're in the Fort Wayne area, obviously just listen on on your radio. And then uh, we'll be out and about walking around, so come say hi to us on uh, Carb Day as well, and may even see if we can do kind of a a meetup. It's pretty tough just because there are a million people there, and it's hard to find a good thing, but able to meet a couple people last year, we'll see if we can figure something out. But again, 3 to 4 p.m., 1380thefan.com, live shows. We recap Carb Day practice and preview 
the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.